Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, folks, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and today we have with us from Columbus, Ohio, Mark Landis, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, from the law firm Isaac Wiles. Nice to have you, Mark. Hey, thanks for being, being here too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so listen, just to kick off the show, to keep with the uh, theme, uh, Latte with a Lawyer, what's your morning beverage of choice to get started? I was a late uh, comer to coffee. I was over 40 before I ever had a habit. And uh, I hadn't played golf, hadn't skied, and I hadn't had coffee. So uh, I turned on to all those things at the same time. So I, I do a fresh grind the night before, and I have a, uh, a Ninja and put the uh, fresh ground coffee in, and I drink it black. My wife at one time went on Weight Watchers, and so, so did I. So I, I cut out the cream and uh, just drink it straight up. I think it's eight o'clock blend is what I'm doing right now. Excellent. Good stuff. <laughs> I got it. I, I really do have to tabulate all the statistics because I get some really interesting uh, responses to this. And believe it or not, many people don't start the day with coffee. They uh, they have tea, they have water, they have you know some energy drink. Not everyone's it, a coffee drinker. Yeah, yeah. I, it's uh, you know once you get on the caffeine habit, it's hard not to have that. It changes changes your day if you don't have it after a while. But you know it, it's. Um, it's the kind of thing that you can look forward to. And uh, as my daughter once said, you know, we're all either trying to get coffee to get in one place or alcohol to get into another. <laughs> we switch as the day progresses, right? right. We don't reverse that. Then we got, we got other issues to deal with. <laughs> anyway, so listen, uh, I'm sure coffee, you need coffee for a reason. It looks like you're a busy attorney. What kind of law do you practice? Tell everybody about your practice. Yeah, I'm a litigator. Uh, I started out as a prosecutor with the federal government and uh, turned that into uh, mostly defending governments in Ohio. So I represent the state of Ohio, uh, all the counties, all the cool suburbs around town, um, regional transit authorities, schools, stuff like that. Whenever they get sued, uh, I get called. Okay, so you are mainly defense. Yeah, mainly different? defense. I've done I've done a lot of plaintiff work too. I'd say it, it, a higher number of my plaintiff cases go to trial, uh, a higher proportion. So, you know, as far as trial experience goes, it it's uh, closer to fifty fifty with plaintiff work. We try to keep both sides of our sword sharp, and uh, we're not riding with one motorcycle gang or the other. We're happy to do whatever comes in the door first. Okay. Oh, so, so, but as a, as a whole, the firm doesn't focus on one or the other. That's interesting. Most do. I mean, most why? do. Most yeah. do. Yeah. And it's, it can be awkward. Uh, you know, we, the guys that get paid by the hour or have uh, get paid in advance, have a hard time understanding plaintiff uh, class action work. Yes. You might wait years for the payoff. Correct. That's why the advent of things like litigation financing, so yes. right things like that. To you betcha, I get those calls. 
you get those calls. Yep. Um, yeah, actually, uh, I, I know quite a few of those guys. Interesting business. I mean, now, I mean, you see it on big platforms that are crowdsourced funds. I mean, hedge funds putting all kinds of money into these platforms. Yeah, I mean, one, one way to know whether you've got a good plaintiff case is whether somebody's willing to invest in it. It's sort of, uh, you know, you ought to, if you're determining whether or not to get in, and it's a big deal, that's a big decision. And, you know, you can make it emotional and not just logical if you're not careful. You know, it's a cool idea. I'm all charmed with my own idea. You know, let's go sue. But it's years and years and a lot of, uh, a lot of investments. So in a way, it's good to check out whether or not somebody would finance that, you know, whether you need the money or not. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. I never thought about that, but that is probably, it's like, you know, getting an extra set of eyes for due diligence, right? If you get somebody that's, hopefully they're good, right? They're not just making bad decisions, but assuming they're good at what they do, that's a great way to get some uh, additional diligence on the- Yeah, we assume they know what they're doing, but uh, we, we also know that they have more distance and perspective on what the case would be. And maybe maybe a greater number of uh, cases in their experience. Yeah. So have you used them before? Nope. Never. Never have. You thought about it. Close to thought it. about it. Got close. Thought about it, but no, didn't do it. Okay. I mean, it, it seems like a lot. You know, I, I've talked to a bunch of firms where they kind of look down their nose on it, like you know, no, 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 we 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 have our own capital. We wouldn't use one of those firms. There's a bit of a stigma seems like attached to that. Yeah, I don't know that that ought to be. It, it does look, I mean, it does look, uh, typically you don't have non-parties investing in cases. I mean, that is kind of a, a general principle of the law from ancient times. Hmm. I, I can see why the first reaction would be don't pick up that stick. That's a bloody stick. Expensive stick too, right? Yeah, it can be. That's right. That's right. You're giving up... Uh, given up some of the return right um anyway but so i mean t t i want to hear about some of your interesting cases and looking at your background i see you got a very large verdict for a, a real estate developer yeah I, it's funny i had an old guy say you know i know that i've had a big career because i've had i've been on both sides of uh of seven figure judgments and i thought i've been on both sides of eight figure judgments what's that mean yeah, I, I, so I've uh, I've had a jury verdict for my client of of about twelve, and then I I've also been on the defense side where it's been over ten million. So it's uh, focuses the mind wonderfully. Yeah, I would think so. Um, and was that was that on contingency the the one the the eleven million dollar verdict that you won for your client? Uh, I'd probably be dressed differently. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you don't do any on uh, contingency? No, we do, but not that one. No. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, not that one. Yeah, no. Contingency is lovely. I, when I first got out of the Army, uh, where I was in the JAG Corps, I, that, that was sort of what I thought I should be doing. It didn't seem like kind of a Ponzi scheme to have these, these law firms with partners at the top and a bunch of associates at the bottom all billing time. And I, I thought the way out of that was probably contingent fee and and thought that that's what I might be doing. And I've been a prosecutor, so proving cases is kind of natural um, yep. transition. So, but I ended up yeah. doing something else. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's it's an it's interesting. I mean, again, you know, having spent a, a lot of time the last couple of years with with lawyers and speaking with them, you know, um, you would think, or at least the general public may have certain opinions about attorneys that work on contingency. And uh, just, I mean, you know, a lot a lot of the people I talk to seem to have very, you know. Uh, genuine earnest uh intentions it's not just about making a lot of money yeah i i uh i'm sure there are a lot of exceptions but generally lawyers are who their clients need them to be you know you're not you're not a mobile home lawyer unless you have a mobile home client right so not that anybody's trying to be a mobile home lawyer but but uh, you, you, you end up doing what your client needs you to do and, and your clients define what kind of law you practice. Yeah, I see. So tell us about the journey about, you mentioned the, uh, the, uh, the or armed services, military. What, how'd you, how'd you become a lawyer? What was that journey like? Yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, it was a decision I made in high school that uh, it seemed as if um, there should be some magic words to tell this guy fixing my car that he should be fair with me and give me my car back for a reasonable price. And, you know, I should go learn those magic words. I, I don't know. Time will tell whether I should have learned auto mechanics instead, but, <laughs> but I, I did thought, think I, that would be useful to know those magic words. I'm not sure I've yet found them, uh, but uh, I entered into it. I was going to be a writer and I uh, thought about journalism and fiction writing and, uh, and the law seemed like a, uh, steady income in case those things didn't happen mm. um and wh where are you from you grew up in ohio i did a small town called london Seven thousand people in the middle of the corn belt corn soybeans and prisons where is that is it near you live in columbus right so yeah, it's not far from columbus if you wanted to see a first run movie you would drive to columbus okay <laughs> well you get you get you get a pretty big university that's in columbus right yeah, yeah, you really do. It's kind of the professional sports team now. Yeah, yeah, no, I know that. But they they do have they do have some professional sports teams in Columbus now, right? They hockey. do. They yeah. do. You get soccer and hockey. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Well, listen, one of your uh, one of the the greatest alum that came from Ohio State was one of my uh, heroes growing up, John Havlicek, who played for the Boston yeah. Colts. Yeah. Yeah, he got some press recently with the the passing of. Uh, of the Bill Russell. Bill Russell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was a great, uh, great player and also unselfish. I, you know, he, I think you'd probably put that word with him like you did with Bill Russell. Oh, yeah, they were they were great. I mean, I was very young when they were as they were finishing. I mean, Bill Russell, I don't remember at all. I'm not old enough, but uh, John Havlicek, I saw at the very end. And, uh, you know, he doesn't he's much different than the current day NBA basketball player, but he, he was amazing. He was an amazing guy. Yeah, he tried. It was, yeah, he, it was a lot of it was such effort. Um, and he also had the best, uh, the best uh, line ever about Bobby Knight. Bobby uh, was on the same team at Ohio State. And he said, uh, yeah, Bobby, Bobby was 22 for 22 tonight. He touched the ball 22 times and shot it 22 times. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that was the Havlicek quote. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't. I, I don't remember that. So he played in the same team as Bobby Knight. No kidding. Yeah, he didn't. I don't know that he was a starter. Interesting. Yeah. Once I, I lived in Chicago for a period of time and I was in a pickup basketball game at the uh, the local gym I used to go to. 
and I'm playing against this, this young guy and he's like six feet and he's pretty good. I said, boy, this kid's a good basketball player. It turned out it was John Havlicek's son and he was 13. I was in oh, my no. mid-30s. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that that was that was pretty interesting. I once played, I once played uh covered each other. Um what's his name? Uh oh, why can't I think of him? The Boston College, Doug Flutie. Yeah. Outside of Boston, we covered each other in, in a gym playing basketball. He was a good athlete. Oh, I bet he was. He's yeah. a very good athlete. He's a little guy, and he was uh he's quite an athlete. He he could have played basketball at Boston College, I, I've been told. Yeah, I think most quarterbacks could do that. Yeah, they're very athletic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, as an aside, you got me talking yeah. sports. Work. Yeah. yeah, that's good. <laughs> I think sports and business and law, they kind of go together anyway, right? It's a very competitive profession, right? Yeah, I try to deny it, but every once in a while I realize, you know, why am I doing this? You know, I just, I'm doing this because I want to do better than the other guy. You know, I, I, tend to drive fast too you drive fast too yeah so do i, I get yelled at from my wife all the time yeah I, I used to say it's the only only hobby i have time for right <laughs> so how did you get into this this um law this this type of law that you practice how did that happen yeah i was uh, prosecuting um in uh for the army in europe and and had got a really cool job for I've been out of law school about a year and I was the only prosecutor in town and there were murders and rapes and robberies and there was I even had a an um, espionage case so you know like this is year two through four of being a lawyer and got a chance to go back to the pentagon and defend the army and the department of defense whenever they got sued across the country and that was my job for a couple of years. So I, I ended up learning about how the government gets sued and what kind of things they get sued for and, and how to do that kind of work. And when I ended up at the firm I'm in uh, back then, uh, it, they were just starting to have law firms defend counties and cities and such. <clears throat> and they looked around, said, anybody know anything about this? And I said, well, it's, it happens, I do. So I've been pretty doing pretty much doing that, which goes to my point of lawyers are who their clients need them to be. Mm. Or so it just is it's happenstance, I suppose, right? That you ended up there. What you didn't choose it, it kind of shows you. Yeah, I would say that they had those kind of clients show up, and uh, I did some of the first ones and turned it into a bigger thing than it started. So we went, we went from maybe a dozen counties to at some point I've done all 88 in Ohio and a lot of the cities and people call me up to ask questions and it's kind of fun. Yeah. So, so give me an example, like what, what a case would look like when you're defending a county. Um, the SWAT team um, has a warrant and a felony warrant. And they go into the house and they say, police, police. And they go up the steps and a guy is laying in bed and he's got a weapon on his bedside table and he lifts the weapon and points it at the SWAT guy in the doorway of the, of the bedroom in the middle of the night. <clears throat> uh, and uh, the SWAT team shoots. Oh, okay. Okay. Those kind of cases. So is, is yeah. that a common scenario that you're describing? Yeah. 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 That'd be part of it. Or, 
Um, the city decides that they're only going to provide city water to people who are in the city. But there's a neighborhood right outside the city that's never been annexed that's majority black. Do they have a fair housing claim to demand that they get the city water? Okay. By city. Yep. So it's a lot of stuff. You know, it's hard to say it's just this or that. It's everything the government does, they can get sued for. Oh, I see. I see. Now, now I understand. Got it. Got it. So how do you, I mean, are those, and are those uh, jury trials? Do you ever go to, you do? Yeah. Yeah. They're jury trials. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it can be about money and it can be about a lot of money. The last trial I had was, um, there was 23 billion with a B uh, at stake. Um, that was not a jury trial, but it was about the Medicaid contract in, in Ohio and, and where that should go and who should get the benefit of that Medicaid contract. Mm. And so did you prevail? We did, we did prevail. So the Medicaid got to give the contract to who they wanted and not to who they didn't. And it was a bet the company kind of litigation for the other guys and they ended up selling out, I think to Aetna. Okay. Yeah, I would imagine those kind of cases are kind of here. You get a lot of social issues and, right? It's yeah. 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 Sometimes it's about money too, though, you know, and, and the, the, uh, we had an over and under bet as to how many lawyers would show up in the courtroom when there was 23 billion at stake. And, and, the, and we, we set it at 30, the over and under and over one. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and those were, I would imagine they were on the other side, they were on contingency, right? Big payout. No, nah, no, no. They they were hired by people like Anthem to to make sure that their people got the contract they wanted. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're all getting making better than I did. You know, mm -hmm. I'm there for the state of Ohio, but they were all sitting there watching me getting paid more than I did. Okay. So you got to take pleasure in the fact that you're doing good work for good people with good results. Yeah, I consider yeah. it sort of partial pro bono. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's partial public service. Got it. Interesting. So um, this is, how long have you been at this firm? How long have you been there? It sounds like a while. Yeah, we, uh, we merged, uh, we founded the firm from two firms about eight years ago. And the firm that I came from to that firm that merged into it, I joined in 1987. Oh, so you've been there for a long time. Yeah, it's pretty boring. Well, not if you like what you're doing. It's not, I mean, you could say that you found the right place. Yeah, there you go. Right. You go. Yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a lack of imagination. You know, I, but I wonder sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyone else in your family? An attorney? Yeah, my son actually is a public defender in Tampa. Oh, nice. How do you end up down there? I'm I'm in South Florida, so. Okay. All right. All right. He was, uh, he was, he was in DC as well as a JAG officer. And he found out what I found out, which is it's a great place to visit and a hard place to live. And, uh, and you know, you can have a family, but you can't have a family in a house. And, uh, so he decided to get out of the army off active duty. Anyway, he's still in the reserves. Uh, he's major Landis and he's, uh, he, was good with public defender. He looked at U.S. attorney and public defender. He could have done either. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, I lived in D.C. for 
and Bethesda for a long time. It's an expensive place to live. It sure is. A lot to do, and I couldn't afford any of it. I was a captain in the Army at the time. Yeah. He was, too. Oh, interesting. How many, you have any of the kids or just one son? Yeah, I've got a bartender in Chicago. Nice. And, uh, and a graphic designer in Columbus. She just, uh, she's got a nine-month-old, and we get to visit with him. Oh, great. A couple times a week, so it's been good. Yeah, yeah. Columbus is, a, is, is really been expanding as a city, right? It's a, yeah, yeah. They expect to have a million more people here in the next five, 10 years or something. Wow. And uh, Intel is going to build a big chip factory. Ah, is that where the chip? Oh, no kidding. It's going to be out there. Congratulations on that. That's a big win. Yeah, we're going to get better sushi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I was telling you, I was in LA for a few days. And boy, if you like sushi, that's the place to get sushi. Yeah, I have friends in the in the rural Ohio that would call that bait. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Well, I'm going to leave that one alone there on that. I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. Um, by the way, is it, is the governor of Ohio going to, is he, he's not up for re-election, is he? He is. He is. Oh, he is. Mike DeWine. Yeah. He's up this year. Uh, this will be his second and last term, assuming he wins, which most people are, assuming he wins. Yeah. Well, he was very visible um, in the last administration anyway. Yes. Yes. He'd been a U.S. senator. He was one of the gang of eight that got stuff done, you know, that kind of stuff. He's been in politics a long time. He's a good guy. He's grew up down the road from me. Um, his family sells seeds to farmers. Oh, interesting. He seems like a pretty reasonable guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think he got a lot of newfound respect during the uh, COVID time. Yes. He, he tried to be careful with that. And, and a lot of the people that read the New York Times and probably didn't vote for him said, you know, I didn't vote for him, but I think he's doing a heck of a job. You know, whether that turns into a vote this time around for him would remain to be seen. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of uh, forces at play here. Yeah. Right. There are a lot of forces and stuff happens between now and November. Right. Or at least now and when the first early voting starts, you can't really even talk about election day anymore. Yeah, that's right. So let's uh, we we hope it's uh, orderly and peaceful. That's all I'll, I'll that's that's all I hope for, right? Yeah, right. Democracy depends upon the losers walking away. Yeah, that's right. I mean, well, it, it depends on people acting reasonably, right? Yeah, I guess you got to be convinced you are a loser before you walk away. Yeah. Yeah. The the law only goes that well, You're a lawyer, but I'm not a lawyer. But the, you know. The rules can only go so far. You gotta, you, know, you gotta get people to uh, to observe them and comply with them. Right, right. And it's nice to have voluntary compliance as opposed to something else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I'll, I'll let I'll leave that go. Leave that one alone for now. Otherwise, we're going to go down a totally different path here. Yeah. So let me let me ask you something. When you when you prepare for. Um, a trial or mediation? What do you? How do you do that? What kind of tools do you use? Do you use jury consultants, focus groups, any of those kind of things? Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it depends upon the case. I, I'm, I'm taught myself to be paperless. The key to that I found is to not have a pen. Okay. You don't have a pen, you can't make paper. Right. 
So I've taken pens off my desk and that made me paperless. So uh -huh. I've tried cases from, you know, legal pads and manila folders and binders and laptops. I've not done iPads yet. I may get to that. But uh, yeah, I'm as far as uh, I try to be, try to be paperless and efficient. Uh, but uh, but you know, got you got to know your stuff, and you also have to have a bigger picture view of it. At the same time, I think it depends upon what kind of lawyer you are. I think that the guy that's doing the merger and acquisition with the, all the documents and the appendix, I, I want that guy to be really detail oriented the litigator needs to have that plus some distance and perspective. So I, I, I try to make sure I do that too. And some people I think do need uh, third parties to help them do that. Um, I know there's, there's a story of a trial lawyer who talks about how do you take a contingency fee? How do you know which case to take? And he called for a show of hands, you know, how many people have ever been in a NASCAR race? How many people have watched Law and Order all the time? How many people have, now tell me how many people are, belong to a country club? How many people have been to an opera? And he said, you guys don't know what jurors think. Right. You, know, you, you think you do, but you really don't. And there is a widening gulf between the haves and have nots and uh, and even, even when there was a disparity in income, people lived together and went to the same, you know, um, laundromat or you know, dry public cleaner. school. Yeah, right. Public school was a great, great way to have people understand each other. And when the, uh, when the truck driver doesn't understand the problems of the Harvard law professor, that's not a problem. But when the Harvard law professor doesn't understand the problems of the truck driver, that can be a problem. And so so I do think that um, having perspective may require uh, a third party, as you suggested. Got it. So have you, have you used those services before? Bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. And, you know, I, I don't do a jury selection question without asking my wife first. That's stupid. I don't know what you're trying to say, you know? And, and uh, anybody that's tried a case has had the had the experience of coming up with this great, you know, question for jury selection and you think it's wonderful and all the jurors look at you like a dog staring at a fan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know there's a real art to it. Like in the state of Ohio, I mean, what are you allowed to do and why there? Do you have as much time as you, as you need? Is it yeah. They, the answer is uh, the usual lawyer answer, which is accurate, but unhelpful. It's whatever the judge will let you do. But most, uh, most trial judges, at least in state court, will let you have plenty of time and, and ask questions that hopefully get you good information. But, but if you try to do it out of a law review article, you end up looking stupid. Right. Well, that's the whole thing, right? You have to be able to relate to that general audience, right? The, the jury pool that is most likely not going to be harvard law professor right right but but even if you ask questions you might ask waiting in line for a ticket or something you know, what do you do during the day do you have bumper stickers on your car what do they say you know do you have um, do you shop at walmart you know if you try to to get some clues from questions like that 
Um, you know, the juror wonders why. Why are you asking me that? And it, it's a it's a moment where they're trying to size you up. They're judging you. They're judging sure. everything that happens. Yep. And so you really got to make sure it's worth it. Yeah, I mean that that's why I said you know th there is a lot of skill in, in doing those kind of things, right? So, you know that's why you know people are relying on other people that do it all the time and and have some. Uh, tested approaches or, you know, like, uh, you know, some of these, uh, you know, focus groups, for example, right. It's just a way to get some feedback before you go into battle. Right. Yeah. So it's test, yeah. test your theory. Yeah. And there there's, that's, there's an art to that. I think most people doing that want to hear good news and, uh, you know, they, they tilt the scales so that it confirms what they thought as opposed to teaching them something new. Well, then it doesn't, I mean, that then you're just kidding yourself, right? You want to try to find where the weak, weaknesses are, things that you need to pay attention to that you might not have been thinking about, the blind spots. Yeah, but right. I would bet you most people don't do it that way. I would bet most people just get confirmation bias. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So what do you think makes uh, someone more successful than others? Well, in, 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 for focus groups, I would say. No, uh, not focus group, just as a yeah. lawyer. Like what makes yeah. a good lawyer? Well, well you got to work hard. There's a lot of lazy lawyers out there, which are great for us. Uh, I would say for getting clients, uh, responding to calls and emails is, seems like a really simple thing. I'm not good looking. I'm not that smart, but I call people back and it distinguishes me tremendously from my competition. I am. Well, that's true of any business. Responsiveness yeah. is the number one thing. But I mean, you're I'm you're trying a case. I mean, how are you going to get a better result than the next guy? What what do you do differently? Well, I think um, I think you've got to remember that you're you're not just a lawyer; you're a human being. Uh, I think empathy with everybody else in the room at the same time. I'm a youngest kid of a large family. So I'm, I'm wired to go into a room and figure out what everybody wants. Right. And I've been playing with playing on that for a long time. Okay. That's, that's what I got. Okay. So you know, you know how to navigate and sort of pick up on the cues and read the room or at least read the, uh, read the cliff notes. Okay. The cliff notes are a good thing, right? So you, you don't have to read the book. You can't read the room. <laughs> read the cliff notes at least. Come on. Right, right, right. Excellent, excellent. Um, so let me leave you with this uh, technology. I mean, how much does the firm use and adopt? And what are your views on technology? Besides uh, being paperless that you mentioned, but yeah. like other things, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, we, have, um, we have the kind of software capability. We have the best IT guy in town. And what that means is we can do the same work that a firm of 1,000, 2,000, 12,000 can do. Now I can get to every document. I can get to all the information I need wherever I am and uh, serve clients in the same manner they do. It's been a great leveler, uh, I think, from uh, large firms to at least mid-sized firms. You still have some, some people out there that haven't adopted or say, you know, I'm just, I don't know this stuff. The ethics rules make very clear that part of your 
obligation to be a competent lawyer is to be competent on technology as well. Hmm. This is not an excuse to say, yeah, I'm just not very good at that. You have to be good at it, or at least, or go hire somebody. Oh, I didn't realize that. Does that get tested? Were yeah, you... it has been. And oh. judges have said, you got to do it. It comes up in places like discovery. You know, did you save all the electronic information? Did you search for it properly? Um, that, that kind of thing is where it comes up. And for you to say, you know, I didn't know that it would all be destroyed or I had to do something special to preserve the evidence. That's not a good excuse. Huh. Interesting. I wonder what, what they're going to say about the uh, secret service that lost all their emails yeah. and texts. Yeah, yeah, lost is a funny word there, isn't it? <laughs> Boy. Anyway, all right, good, good stuff. Um, so what's if someone wants to learn more about your practice and get in touch with you and use your firm, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, you know, I'd head for the website, which is uh, IsaacWiles.com. Isaac has two A's right next to each other. That's that doesn't occur very often in nature. So that's <laughs> often uh, often a mistake. But so it's it's I S A A C Wiles W I L E S is how how you find me. Excellent. You are funny. I got to tell you, Isaac Wiles. Okay. <laughs> well, listen, it's been a pleasure. Right. Um, I think you have a, I think you have a second career as a stand-up comedian. Wow. I'll, I'll do my best for you. <laughs> you got me laughing. Anyway, this is uh, Mark Landis with Isaac Wiles, and he just spelled it for you. And um, this show is sponsored by Emotion Track, and we are one of those legal tech platforms that lawyers like yourself use to prepare for mediation and trial. We let you tell your story and see what people were thinking using our AI-powered platform. Anyway, thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, friend. You're going to start, stop recording?